Well, good morning, and like I said, welcome to Regen. Um, we are having a little bit of a crazy morning. Julia, our usual worship leader, is home puking, so we're glad she's not here. But So we would love to thank Elaine. She rushed over here at the last minute to leave worship for us, so we are super thankful for her stepping in this morning and our team kind of just rolling with it. So um, thanks to everybody who kind of just is being very flexible this morning. So just a few announcements. Um, The first one is, you may have seen this in the Reconnect, but we, um, along with Otterbein, have decided to redo um, the entryway and the lobby, so those two rooms out there. Um, And so we need people to help paint. This would be happening in January. So if any of you um, like to paint, or maybe you don't like to paint, but you're good at it, and you're keeping it a secret from us, we would love to know. Um, There is a lot of edging, so we know it'll be a little bit of a complicated uh, process, but um, we would we would love to have that done. Um, they do tax prep here in February, so we'd love to have it done by the end of January. Um, and like I said, it'll just be those two rooms. So see me after if that's something that you're interested in. And then um, if you have a social media account and do check-ins, if you do the hashtag RegenGives, that will go to a couple in Italy who are church planning for the month of December. So you can just um, check in on Facebook. And then um, on December uh, 23rd at 6 p.m. is going to be our Christmas candlelight service. And it's one of our favorite of the year and is definitely a great way to kick off your Christmas week. So we'd invite you to come. We'd uh, invite you to invite friends and family to be here. We always kind of say don't come late because it's usually pretty full. So unless you, I think this was the only open seating last year. So unless you want to sit in the very front row, don't come late. Um, But it's just, it's a great um, time just to be together and to sing Christmas songs, to talk more about who Jesus is and why um, we celebrate his birth um, and his life. So um, I believe that's all for announcements. So I'm going to invite Vincent and Melissa Ann and their family to come up and do our Advent reading. Advent is a bittersweet time. We savor its sweetness as we eat Christmas cookies and ugly Christmas sweaters. We taste its bitterness as we grow in our awareness of the places where we're still waiting for God to move, heal, redeem, and rescue. The third Sunday of Advent is unique. Because of this Sunday, we light the only pink candle on the Advent wreath. The color pink, it represents joy, which calls to mind the first words heard by the shepherds thousands of years ago. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. In the midst of our waiting, the pink candle feels like a joke. How can we have joy when we're waiting for so much? Where's the joy in the midst of heartbreak? grief, disappointment, or sickness. Yet the pink candle, it reminds us that we're not just waiting for something, but also we're waiting for someone. The pink candle enacts our faith in the words of the prophet Isaiah, who said, Look at the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is the promise of Advent, that even in our waiting, God is with us always. The psalmist says that fullness of joy is found in the presence of God. So even in our waiting, we can delight in the, in the joyful friendship Christ has initiated with us. While we wait for so much to be put right in our own lives, <clears throat> we wait with someone who has promised to never leave us or forsake us. Would you pray with us? Lord God. 
You have promised to be with us always and that we would find joy in your companionship regardless of the circumstances. We pray that you would protect what joy we have already this Christmas season and that you would increase our joy as we wait with expectation for the celebration of your birth. May we find joy even in the midst of our disappointments while we wait with you. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you um, just for the gift of your Son, who is um, the one who brings us joy in knowing him. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we take our offering, um, that we would just give back to you what you have given to us, and that we would do so with that joy. And so we ask these things in your name. Amen. Hey, pray with me. Father, you are worthy of our attention and our affection. You're worthy of our time today. And so as we bring ourselves into this place, as we bring our lives to you, would you come and would you speak to us? Would you stir us up um, to see you and follow you today? God, thank you that you are with us in the unpredictable. And teach us, Lord, of your consistency even in that. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Kids, K through five. Kids can go back with Candace. Miss Candace is back there, so kids can go back. We're going to be in Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two. It's in the New Testament. I'm going to be reading out of the message today. Simply... uh, because you're going to, you'll see why. So I keep showing you this picture, and I want you to make sure you remember it, this picture in Christmas Vacation, when Clark Griswold goes to pull out his Christmas lights, and they are just one big tangled mess. I want you to remember this image, because we're talking about the things that get tangled up in the Christmas lights of our discipleship, the Christmas lights of our believing about who Jesus is and what he's like and how he works. And it is impossible, it is impossible, friends, for us to go through life and entirely avoid having something get tangled up in there. Really, any honest Christian would tell you that they go through most of their life with other stuff, money, sex, power, performance, need to be liked, tangled up in their walk with Jesus. And so one of those disciplines that we take on as the people of Jesus is this reflection. Psalm uh, 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. There is this process of reflection and untangling that God comes alongside us in. God is our Father. He loves us. He does not come uh, like with a red pen trying to find where you got the test wrong. He comes alongside because he loves you and he wants you to see him clearly and without obstruction. Because when we see who God is clearly, then we're set free. And what gets God going, where we get a caffeinated version of Jesus, is when we trade our freedom for bondage. And that's exactly what happens when we operate with tangled Christmas lights. It's exactly what happens when we live in a world of Jesus and. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at Jesus and Buddha and how these are just diametrically opposed ways of relating 
to God, if you can even say that Buddhism relates to God. Uh, this last week, we looked at Jesus and angels, which was really a way for us to look at how bad thinking, bad believing seeps into our theology about heaven and eternity. And this week, Jesus and the New Age, I don't know if calling it Jesus, I keep calling it Jesus and the New Age, and I'm not sure that makes me sound like I'm 80, right? Jesus and the, the New Age people, I don't know. So, but this was because I, I saw an article in November that came out from the Pew Research Center. Pew Research is one of the best research firms in the country, especially when it relates to faith and our country, and it, and it revealed that over six in 10 Christians hold New Age beliefs. Six in, now, I was raised in church, so I knew that New Age was a bad word, right? Like, ooh, don't do that. But I, I, I was relieved to find that the study also told me what some of those New Age beliefs were, such as spiritual energy is found in physical things, not just any physical thing, like mountains and trees. Like, I go into nature, and there's just so much power there. I'm so glad I don't know anybody who has ever said that sentence out loud. Um, psychics, which somebody at the last campus was thought the whole time that number two said physics. So it says psychics, okay, just so you know. Um, although I, I've, I took physics and it sounded like a cult, so I don't know. Um, a lot of letters and numbers. Uh, reincarnation and astrology. Astrology is like your zodiac sign and your horoscopes and stuff like that. Now, what this study found, let me be clear, of all the people of that study who identified as them, themselves to be Christians, six out of ten of those people who identified as Christians also said they believe in at least one of these four things. Which means, church, that six in ten of us, when we go home today, are going to like stop by the psychic just to get a quick reading on our way home for dinner. Right? Six in ten of us uh, are going to start our day tomorrow by opening up our phone and reading what our horoscope is. And I actually pulled up my horoscope for today and tomorrow, and uh, I'll show you those at the end. One of them is weirdly accurate, but remember that a broken clock is right twice a day, okay? And, um, and so here's, I wanna be clear about a couple things. First of all, if you're not a Christian, we're super glad that you're here. And my, my goal this morning is not to judge you. Um, the Bible's pretty clear about, listen, I was actually just talking to somebody about this. It's hard to say very frequently the Bible is very clear because actually the Bible isn't all that clear all the time. Here's something that it is very clear on. We do not judge non-Christians when they do not act like Christians. We actually judge Christians for acting like non-Christians. We, 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 we judge those on the inside, not those on the outside. So if you're not a Christian this morning, I'm hoping to show you that the stuff that you're trying to find from psychics, maybe physics, horoscopes, these are actually things that you find more accurately in Jesus. If you are a Christian and you have like a horoscope app on your phone, um, I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to publicly do anything to you, but I, I do want to also show you that there's a better way. There's a better way. So how does this happen, first of all? So how is it that there's six out of 10 Christians saying that they believe in something new agey? Well, I think there's two things. First of all, generally speaking, new, the new age kind of stuff, especially astrology, is on the rise in the US. Now, I, I have repeatedly found proof that Google and Facebook are listening to me. One of the ones that happened this week was in, as I'm writing a sermon about new age and astrology into my newsfeed, comes an article from The Atlantic about New Age Astrology and Millennials, okay? So just stop, whoever you are, right? Like stop, 
please stop doing that because we don't like it. It's weird. Um, uh, so this article came across and it's talking about how, and this is super interesting, right? Because organized religion in the United States is on a decline. However, spirituality stuff like this is on an increase. Really interesting. So th- there's a couple long quotes from this article, but it says, Ruby Warrington is a lifestyle writer whose new age guidebook, Material Girl, Mystical World, um, came out in May of 2017, just ahead of the wave of astrology book sales that summer. She also runs a mystical esoterica website. So go home, you learned a new word today, esoterica, E-S-O-T-E-R-I-C-A, an esoterica website, the numinous, a word which Merriam-Webster defines meaning supernatural or mysterious, but which Warrington defines on her website as that which is unknown or unknowable. She says, I think that almost as a counterbalance to the fact that we live in such a quantifiable and meticulously organized world, there is a desire to connect to and tap into that numinous, mysterious part of ourselves. She says, I see astrology as a language of symbols that describes those parts of the human experience that we don't necessarily have equations and numbers and explanations for. Later on in that article, they uh, quoted a report called Unreality, which said, we are increasingly turning to unreality as a form of escape and a way to search for other kinds of freedom, truth, and meaning. What emerges is an appreciation for magic and spirituality, the knowingly unreal, and the intangible aspects of our lives that defy big data and the ultra-transparency of the web. In other words, in our culture, especially young folks, and if you're not a young folk, you've got kids, you've got grandkids that think like this, and these, you're going to be at Christmas dinner, and they're going to, in passing, bring up their horoscope, some kind of equipping you to have a filter to have a conversation about this, thinking like missionaries again. Our culture is turning at large to the numinous, the spiritual, the mysterious, the knowingly unreal, And I think it's because we have these devices in our hands and in our faces all the time, and they make us feel exposed. They make us feel like a number. I mean, seriously, when Google is listening to your conversations and showing you options of what to buy, it it robs the mystery of our life. And so as a culture, we're turning to the spiritual. This is really great news for us as the people of Jesus. Anytime our culture moves away from Christianity, I throw a party. Baby boomers across the United States like weep. I love it. And here's why. Because it makes the gospel clearer. It makes the gospel clearer. It, it's, it's not muddied by America stuff. It makes the gospel seem unique. And, and so you've got this piece in our culture. So in the background of our culture, spirituality is on the rise, especially astrology, zodiac stuff, even crystals. So that's a new thing in the background. In the foreground of this, there's this, there's this piece, and I see it in Christians, I see it in non-Christians, there's this belief that I could only describe as this, if it's spiritual, it must be good. If it's spiritual, it must be good. This is true, like I said, of Christians and non-Christians alike. I mean, look at your Facebook and Instagram pages. Think about how people talk in conversations. They're going to say things like this. I have actually bullet pointed, Dan. When prayer becomes your habit, miracles become your lifestyle. You are not a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. I Googled these this morning. I'm, anyway, when it hurts, observe, life is trying to teach you something. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One, two, three, or four, which one of those was Jesus? Good job. Thank you, Jesus, that they know that. Um, but here's the thing. I mean, even for some of us in our community, 
Uh, even our friends that claim to be Christians, I mean, they will say, I mean, we could actually throw, right? Like God took my baby to turn into an angel in heaven right on that list, right? This kind of thinking that if it's spiritual, it's all kind of vaguely pointing in the same direction. If it's spiritual, it's all vaguely pointing in the same direction. This kind of comes from that cultural thing that always lead to God. We were evangelizing and discipling with somebody just kind of building a relationship with somebody that's a leader in our community now. And uh, he said to us one night at dinner, he said, well, Jesus isn't the only way. And I thought, well, here goes this friendship, right? Like, (laughs) game over. And uh, I said, listen, Steph said it too. For, For us to live the way we live, for us to read the Bible the way we read the Bible, for the way we organize our life absolutely demands that Jesus is the only way. And I chipped in with the more crass version of this. I said, listen, if Jesus isn't the only way, then there's a lot of stuff that I could be doing to be like nice to people in a nonprofit realm where I would make a lot more money than I make now. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if Jesus isn't the only way, like I love you, but like I want to go swim with Shamu like when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Like I'll go be like a psychologist or something and just like boom, done. And I get to like go home at the end of the night, right? So like of course Jesus is the only way, but in our culture there's this We're trying to kind of water that down. And then when we add this, if it's spiritual, it must be good. What we lack is what the Bible calls discernment. What we lack is a discipline called discernment. Discernment is the ability to know truth from falsehood. Discernment is the ability to know truth from a lie. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. Okay? But but a lot of us kind of struggle with that. And so some of us look at those four bullet points and we kind of look at them and go, those all kind of sound like something Jesus would say. Those sound Jesus-y. Those sound spiritual. What I want us to do is increase our discernment. And that's where uh, Colossians chapter 2 comes in. Colossians chapter 2, because Paul is trying to help a church understand discernment. And so let me give you a little background on the church in Colossae. Church in Colossae was the city, Colossae written to Colossians. If you're in Ohio, if you live in Ohio, you are an Ohioan. If you live in Colossae, you are a Colossian. Uh, Their culture in the early first century was very familiar to us. It looks kind of more and more similar to our culture in that there was a lot of spirituality and a lot of ways to be spiritual. A lot of spirituality and a lot of ways to be spiritual. Some of the Christians in that church believed If it's spiritual, it must be good. That what I see going on in the temple of Artemis, what I see going on this Gnostic cult with its secret initiation rites, and what I do on Sunday Sunday with my brothers and sisters in Christ, they're roughly the same thing. And Paul says, this isn't just bad, this is dangerous. This isn't just bad, this is dangerous. So if you've got a Bible, look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 through 15. I'm actually reading from the message this morning, and you'll see why. If you are unfamiliar with the Bible, and you would like to start reading the Bible, you need to get a copy of the message. It's the Bible in ordinary language. Um, NLT that we usually preach from is kind of a wor- closer to like a word-for-word translation. The, the message is almost like idea for idea or sentiment for sentiment. So it's just a lot clearer sometimes. Um, I like to read kind of, the message in one hand and another translation in the other. It's kind of a commentary situation. So Paul, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, says, Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. 
But that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him so you can see him and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ. See now why we're doing the message, because there's the word right there. And the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. Entering into this fullness is not something that you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised. If you don't know what that is, about to have a baby boy, I'll get back to you, okay? Um, it's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already in insiders, not through some secretive initiation rite, but rather through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. If it's an initiation ritual you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think about it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. The old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Right at the outset, we have this touch point between our culture and the culture of the church in Colossae. They are bombarded on all sides with teaching and insight and motivational quotes. Paul warns against people who are trying to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. He could be saying this to us right now, just as easily as he said it to them. In fact, what he says to us has a little more oomph behind it because our world is filled with talking heads. Our world is filled with podcasters. Our world is filled with life coaches and gurus and, and people who like, hey, come take my online course about how to do this email thing and you'll make like a million dollars. I'm thinking, I think this is like a pyramid scheme. You know what I mean? But remember that episode of The Office when uh, Michael's like drawing these hashes, like I sell to him and then they sell to those. And then it's not a pyramid scheme and, and, and Jim just draws a pyramid, a triangle. Um, that's what I see every time I see this. I, our world is just full with these people that are trying to grab our attention. These gurus, these mini celebrities who promise in social media ads, in email campaigns, that they can help us unlock and live with the potential we were meant to have. But Paul says, all of these people trying to grab our attention, this horoscope, this new age thing, he's saying there is a darker side to all of this that the Colossians' interest in the spiritual runs the risk of them entering somebody else's playing field. Notice that these dazzling and talking heads are getting their information from, but notice where their information is coming from. He says they spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. And this gets to the heart of New Age perfectly. At best, it's this empty human tradition. It's always appeared in the Sunday newspaper, so we're always going to see Gemini, da 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 At worst, it's, a, it's an empty superstition connected to spirit beings. I, I hate horror movies. I don't like being scared. Steph knows this. She'll, like, hover at the top of the stairs. And before she was pregnant, she could never do this now. She would, like, crouch real low. Because listen, I had a scarring experience once at a, at a haunted house where, where, I don't know the technical term anymore, a, a little person, big world, I don't know, was dressed like a clown and was going for my knees, okay? <laughs> Never gotten over it. 
And so Steph knows this, so she'll crouch at the top of the stairs, and then I'll come up the stairs and she'll go, ha! And I, like, basically need new underwear. You know what I mean? I hate, I hate being scared, so I hate horror movies. But go to Redbox. Have you ever gone to rent a movie from Redbox? We went a couple months ago. It is like crappy horror movie after crappy horror movie after crappy horror. I mean, we are pumping these things out. And I hate being scared. I hate horror movies, but I'm glad we have them in our culture because our culture needs to be reminded that there is something to be afraid of. And it is not whoever's the president. It is not whoever controls Congress. It's not the opposite political party. It's not an ethnicity. That there is real evil in the world. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil, Satan, the adversary. It's something that we want to brush off as modern people. But again, watch. Watch what's happening as our culture becomes less Christianized. As our culture becomes less Christianized and more spiritual, we're going to start seeing more overt action of the enemy. That's my bet. Right now, the, spirit, the, the, the spiritual realm operates on a covert level. The spiritual realm operates like a troll farm in Russia trying to get me to vote for somebody. Okay, it is a misinformation campaign. Other parts of the world, it is an overt scary stuff. Paul McConaughey, somebody who we are connected with in a movement we're a part of, says like, even the most unchristian person, if they saw a demon at the end of their bed, would pray to Jesus, you know? So they have to be, the enemy has to be covert. That doesn't mean he's not real. And one of the ways that he can be covert is by using these simple little spiritual things that kind of seem like nothing to hook us, to hook us. I'm not saying, by the way, that every psychic is like an agent of the devil. Some of them are just really good con artists. Some horoscopes are just some person trying to make money. But sometimes, sometimes that is a place where, in the words of Genesis, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to rule over us. So why, why do we go toward them at all, though? I mean, if this is a dangerous thing, why do six in ten Christians... Let their eyes flick off of Jesus to like see what their horoscope might say. I think we're interested in horoscopes and all the rest of the stuff because we fear that we're missing out on some vital piece of information that will make our lives better. We fear that we're missing out on some vital piece of information that will make our lives better, that will make our lives more peaceful, that will give us more money that will make our kids happier, that will make our spouse happier. Look at what Paul says. He says, everything of God gets expressed in him so you can hear and see him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, the fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. When you come to Jesus, you are finding the sum total of everything that God has to say to you, period. I mean, if you want to know what a full and abundant life looks like, look at Jesus and follow him. Side note, his life isn't all that full and abundant. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. I think sometimes that's the other thing is we want these things to insulate us from pain. But wrapping our lives around Jesus, putting, putting our lives in his hands, making our, our ordinary lives look like the life of Jesus and how we work and how we parent in our marriage and our relationships and our friendships, that is how we find the abundance and the fullness that we crave, a fullness and abundance that neither a psychic nor a horoscope can offer. But we go looking 
We go looking for more information, more insights, more secrets. And as we follow Jesus, we enter in these seasons of tremendous difficulty, of grief and disappointment and need. And we think to ourselves, this is happening and God must be hiding something from me. This is happening and God must be hiding something from me. Walk through a season of three miscarriages and years of infertility. There must be something I don't know. You lose a loved one. There must be something I don't know. But let's be clear about this. God is a father and a good father at that. And he doesn't hide from us any information that we need to know. Not want to know. Need to know. The secret things belong to God. This is an Old Testament verse. The secret things belong to God and the revealed things to us and to our children so that we may walk in them. If it's been revealed, it's for ours to know. And if it's not, then it's not ours to know. Uh, First Peter, his divine power has granted us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need. Everything we need. I think the challenge is, as Christians, we're very interested in the stuff that the Bible like doesn't answer. I, I find myself, I think I'm a disappointing pastor, because Christians like to ask me this like super esoteric, like mysterious Bible question about something in the Old Testament. Oh, I wonder what this thing happened. And my answer nine out of ten times is, that is not a question that the Bible cares about answering. Ooh, like, what happened to this person? Are they in heaven, and how do we know? The Bible doesn't care. The Bible's trying to tell a story. You're asking a question it doesn't want to know. And I think the reality is we're much more interested in what the Bible doesn't say than what the Bible does say. We're much more interested in, like, the Bible trivia than we are in obedience. As if, like, knowing, like, how is it that, like, this thing happened to this person? I, I, I can't, I'm, for the life of me, I can't remember. Somebody asked me a question this week about the Bible, and I didn't think in my head, like, that's a dumb question, although I kind of did. I, I honestly thought to myself, I honestly thought to myself, why does it matter? Knowing the answer to that question does not make you live more like Jesus. It just makes you feel like you're inside on something. It's a, it's a guess at best. The secret things belong to us. In other words, the ultimate revelation of who God is and what God wants for our lives to be like is Jesus. And we wrap ourselves around him by wrapping our lives around this book. And we experience the fullness that he says. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you. So how do we get in? How do we get into the fullness? How do do I get on the inside? And Paul says, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, man, you're already on the inside. And if you haven't started to follow Jesus yet, getting in couldn't be easier. He says, entering into this fullness is not something you can figure out or achieve. Stop there. You can't smarty pants your way into it. You can't work your way into it. It's not a matter of being circumcised. It's not a matter of keeping a long list of laws. Well, look at my church attendance. Look at how much money I've given. You're already in. Insiders, not through some secretive initiation, right, but through what Christ has already gone through for you. At this point in church history, there was this kind of tribe and undercurrent in the church. They were called the Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. And the Gnostics were always those people that were asking, ooh, like, what about this secret thing in the Bible? And, like, do you remember back in the 90s, there was that thing about the Bible code? Okay? This was, this was classic evangelical subculture stuff, right? If you count these letters and look at these letters in this pattern, it tells you when Jesus is coming back. That's a great one. It's a great example of asking questions that the Bible does not care to answer. Okay? 
uh, is, is Jesus coming back before the thousand years, in the middle of the thousand years, or after the thousand years, or never? I don't care. Neither does your, 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 your friend from, that's far from Jesus. What somebody said to me this week, I just don't know how much Jesus cares what I think of Genesis chapter 1. I said, I think you might be right. you're already in you're insiders not through these gnostics they were always offering like these secret initiation rites and they were always like weirdly sexual like if you come and do this stuff with us then we'll really tell you it's where secret societies come from horoscopes astrology zodiac is rooted in gnostic societies from the first century and before but you're not you're in not through some secret of initiation rite but rather through what christ has already gone through for you destroying the power of sin If it's an initiation ritual you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did with Christ. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. You were incapable of responding to God. People far from Jesus are not dumb. People far from Jesus, it's not just that their ducks aren't in a row. People far from Jesus have their minds blinded by the God of this world. There's a spiritual reality. But God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think about it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest weren't canceled and nailed to the Christ cross. He was stripped. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority in the cross and marched them naked through the streets. When Rome conquered a people, they took their leaders and marched them naked through the capital. So there's your mental image for the day. Paul's saying this thing that they do, this is what God did. You don't need to go ranging for the fullness you can only find in Jesus. The only, only Jesus, Jesus only, gives us the fullness we crave. Only Jesus is the missing piece that gives us meaning. And if you're following Jesus, if you've been following Jesus for some time and you just feel like, there's something I don't know. Like I'm not on the inside. Christians who say that nine times out of ten have a dusty Bible at home. They feel like there's something missing and there's a dusty Bible at home. If they feel like they're on the outside and, and they've been following Jesus for some time, it's really reflective of a lack of personal engagement with Jesus on a daily basis. It's not that Jesus is keeping something from you. It's that you haven't bothered to look. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus, listen, getting in couldn't be easier. This was the big difference between Buddhism and the way of Jesus. In Buddhism, it's like, well, the Buddha, after staying up all night under a tree, stumbled into enlightenment and entered nirvana after his death. So if you do some things, which are many and vague and not all that clear, maybe you too will escape the endless cycle of reincarnation and, be with, and, and enter nirvana. A.K.A. work really hard, may the force be with you. Okay? The way of Jesus is, Jesus has accomplished every necessary thing. Every necessary thing. And so it's just a coming home. It's a, it's a stepping into the family. Paul is describing here forgiveness of sin and freedom from the power of darkness. So I want to say something super clearly. The reason that we go after horoscopes, let me, let me start by saying this. You cannot, in the morning, read your Bible and then read your horoscope and feel like they're, they're getting you to the same place or that they're communicating the same information. That's one. just want to be clear about that. Number two, by the way, I almost, let me just say this. We talk a lot about the Enneagram here, and any smart person, any smart person is like, how is the Enneagram different than a horoscope? Okay? 
Um, the Enneagram is based on psychology and neurobiology and has a lot of international and national accreditation to it that gives marriages and organizations and families and people a lot of psychological explaining power. Astrology is a guess of your future based on where Jupiter is right now. Okay, something repeatable and psychological, a guess based on where a star is. The Enneagram is widely considered the Enneagram is widely considered by reputable professionals a reliable tool. There is not a person except the lady with her weird website that feels like this is a reliable statistical tool. It has always been culturally assumed to be a superstition. The Enneagram is like the Myers-Briggs and all this other stuff. It helps us understand ourselves. I just felt like in a community where like we talk about that a lot, it might be helpful to remind us. Now you can go online, by the way, go online and they'll connect your type with your zodiac and all this kind of stuff. It's a neutral tool. Christians can use it for our own purposes too. It's a neutral tool. But, but here's, here's the reason that we go after these horoscopes and spiritual insight is because we're afraid of the future. We're afraid of the future. We want to hedge our bets. And I get that. We had three miscarriages. And then on May 14th, we found out we were pregnant. I have been anxious every day since May 14th. And I would love a direct little nugget of truth that tells me it's going to be a-okay. I would love for some secret little bit of knowledge that says, hey, if you guys just do these things, this baby will be carried to term. There is no such thing. And it is tempting when we are afraid of the future to go to other sources for insight and information for the promise that it's going to be okay but our stability is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. There's this song that we sing at Easter. You may have grown up singing it. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. Life is worth living just because he lives. The future is not held by a psychic or a tarot card or a horoscope. It is held by our Lord and Master Jesus. And he wants us to have confidence and to be at rest. Look at, um, I don't have this on the screen like a dummy, so we'll maybe make sure it gets on Facebook because I think these verses are great. Because Paul begins the chapter saying, I want you woven into a tapestry of love in touch with everything there is to know of God. We can be in touch with everything there is to know. Then you will have minds confident and at rest. Because we're in touch with everything we need to know about God, because there are no secrets, I have confidence toward my future. I can be at rest in the present because I'm focused on Christ. And if you want a mystery, he calls Christ God's great mystery. Listen, there are no other mysteries to unpack. I mean, the mystery is Jesus in a manger. That's the mystery. That's the mystery. And he says, he goes so far as to say, all the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that's what we want. We want wisdom and knowledge to face the future and to know how life is going to work. All the wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery, in Christ come in the flesh, and it is embedded in him, and Paul says, nowhere else. We've been shown the mystery. I'm telling you this because I don't want anyone leading you off on some wild goose chase after other so-called mysteries or the secret. Everything you need to know is in this mystery. We will not fully unpack it, this side of life. There's this really interesting line in a prayer in Ephesians 3 where Paul says, may you know with all the saints what is the height and breadth and width and depth of the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. In other words, Paul just said, I'd like for you to know something you cannot fully know. That, my friends, is walking with Jesus. 
That is walking with Jesus. When we worry about all, about all the information that we haven't been given, when our eyes flick over to our horoscope to see what our future has, we reject our embeddedness in the mysteries of God. We reject being put in touch with everything we need to know, and we go on wild goose chases. You never know what's going to happen. So on Christmas, and we keep coming back to this too, on Christmas, the angels come and they say, I have good news of great joy that will be for all people, Right? Your horoscope does not have good news of great joy for all people. At best, your horoscope is, this is what your day is going to look like in the vaguest possible terms. Good luck. So just to prove you that, here's my horoscope for today. Communicate your feelings early in the day because by evening you might feel too restricted to want to socialize with anybody. Let me tell you why this is weird. What did I just do all morning? I communicated my feelings early in the day. Um, and yes, I am too restricted to want to socialize with anybody. I wrote three final papers this weekend. So I, Kai Kai is tired. You know what I'm saying? He wants to be napping. Okay? Use this disciplined, sober tone, like the one I just used when I called myself Kai Kai, right? <laughs> to get a realistic perspective on the issues at hand, you'll have a stable, practical attitude for dealing with any situation. Take a slow, well-calculated approach. Side note, not once in my life have I taken a slow, well-calculated approach to anything, okay? Let's just dive in and figure it out. It makes everybody that works for me love their life. Take a slow, well-calculated approach in order to overcome whatever hurdles in right. I love this. Dig deep into the heart, and the matters of the heart with a psychic love reading, right? little ad on the bottom just in case, right? So at best, what? You... It sounds like they kind of know something. I mean, seriously, like I was like, it did kind of make me feel weird that they were like, communicate your feelings early in the day. So again, a broken, a, clock, a broken clock is right twice a day. So look at tomorrow. There's a serious tone to the day, Gemini. So take this into account when you get the urge to play a practical joke on a friend. Never once have I played a practical joke on a friend because I've had many ex- scarring experiences in college of being on the receiving end, Okay. Once on a missions trip, I was asleep on the plane, and my other Christian friends decided this was a good opportunity to see how many Oreos they could get in my mouth. (laughs) Once, I went back to my room after being gone for the weekend, and they had taken all the extra issues of the student newspaper, balled each page up, and my room was waist-deep in paper. The entire room. I wish there were more serious tones to the day. You know what I'm saying? Keep things real. Stick close to home and take care of any menial tasks. Start a garden or buy some plants that you will kill for your house. (laughs) You have a disciplined nature that will help you get things done. Does disciplined nature mean waiting until the last minute and then using the energy of panic to accomplish it? Because again, I wrote three final papers this weekend. Just checking. I don't know. I think what's interesting about horoscopes is there's a tone, isn't there, like they know what's going on. They have a tone of authority. Free tarot reading, by the way. Write down that number. Um, um, They have a, a tone that they know what's going on. And they're written in vague enough terms that like, okay, well, I guess I'll stick close to home and, um, you know, buy a succulent, I guess. But what that does is it puts the control of my future in my own hands. That's not good news. 
It means the quality of my life is entirely dependent on the level to which I enact a disciplined nature that I may or may not have. It's not good news. Jesus wants this to be good news. So here, here's what good news, this is what the good news is. In the face of uncertainty, which by the way, how does that help me in uncertain times? Buying a succulent tomorrow does not make me feel less anxious about the baby that's about to come. Okay, and I've been doing menial tasks, a.k.a. putting together a crib nonstop. Okay, how is that good news? Here is the good news. God is with me, he is for me, and he holds my future. He is with me, he is for me, and he holds my future. Church, I would like you to repeat after me. He is with me, he is for me, he holds my future. He is with me. See, I feel like a late-night TV preacher because I'm making you say a mantra, so we got to do that next week. Jesus and one-liners. He is with me, he is for me, he knows my future. He is with me, he is for me. What did I do wrong? Oh, did, did, did you use the amen feature? Can I see? Look at that. Listen. See, Julia, Julia leaves and we really have some fun. You know what I'm saying? So, he is with me, he is for me, and he holds my future. That's the good news. That he is with us because he wants to be, not because he has to be. That there is nothing in heaven or earth. I mean, if God is for us, who could ever really be against us? Answer, no one. He knows the future. He's leading. He's leading. We follow, one, we follow one step at a time, but he's leading. Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, you, you hold our future, and we're so thankful. We're so thankful that you know us, that you want to be with us. Holy Spirit, um, we just want to be directed and guided by your voice, not by the voice of whoever wrote that weird thing. We want our lives to be more than disciplined nature and menial tasks and buying plants. We want our lives to be lives of consequence. And that's what happens when we follow you. And so Jesus, unhitch us from the weird stuff, from the less than good news stuff, so that we might know your good news in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus offers to us his fullness. Um, he does not offer us a part of himself to play games. He does not hide things from us to make us guess. He offers us his fullness. Uh, and when we are faced by questions, when we are faced by suffering, the good news is not that he has a secret to tell us. The good news is that he knows what suffering is. He knows what suffering is because his body was broken. He knows what suffering is because he was poured out for us. And yet in his brokenness and in that emptiness, there was fullness and his power extends to us. Church, this is what we need this week, not a vaguely worded guess at our life, but an invitation to come and follow and believe and obey certainty, certainty. Um, and so, listen, if there's something you need to leave behind today as you're coming forward, would you just have that conversation with Jesus? If there's something you need to pick up today, is there, have that conversation as we're coming forward. Um, we're, the way we do communion at Regen is real simple. Somebody will rip off a piece of the bread, you dip it in the cup like a nacho, you taste and see that the Lord is good. It is an experience of his goodness. 
Um, and so I need three people to come help me serve communion. That's one. Two. Three. Good job. Evidently the left section's got it today. Good job. shed for you this day, you know. Nothing magical about the words, it's a good reminder. So pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ. Fill us today with this meal. It's only a little piece of bread and a little bit of juice, but fill us again with your fullness, Jesus, that we might trust in you for our future. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The table is open. Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will, and so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more about how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul, not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. Thank you, the Father, who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. God, thank you that you have so much that is bright and beautiful for us, even in the midst of our darkness. Thank you for lighting up our darkness and for walking with us. God, reveal to us what we need to know this week, and we're so thankful that you do that, that you walk with us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, next Sunday, it's a real short service in the morning. Then we're going to put you to work and we're going to get the whole space ready for the next Sunday night, which is at 6 p.m. So I love you. We'll see you next time.